Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome back. Today's episode is all about polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. And the reason I wanted to talk about PCOS is because this is the most common endocrinopathy that I see in the office, not only in my women's health specialty clinic, but in my internal medicine clinic. One of the reasons this is so important is because it goes undiagnosed very often and is a common explanation for a lot of the common symptoms that I see in women. And when we finally sort of sit down and nail down this diagnosis and work through the different treatment options, so many of my patients feel so much better and they start to lose the weight and have regular periods again and all is well with the world. So the idea for this is to really educate you about the symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS as I'll refer to it during this podcast since polycystic ovarian syndrome is kind of a mouthful. So as I mentioned, this is one of the most common endocrine disorders in women of reproductive age, and there can be a constellation of very common symptoms. So if you think that you might have PCOS or you've heard your friends have a new diagnosis of this or you've been reading online or just kind of wondering what could be some of the reasons why you don't feel so great lately, here is some of the things that you would notice if you had polycystic ovarian syndrome. The first thing is often the easiest, which is physical changes. And the physical changes that you'll see most commonly is acne and facial hair, as well as a weight gain or mid-abdominal weight that is really difficult to lose. And when I say really difficult, I mean you have really tried sticking with diets and exercise and you're finding that you're not able to lose the weight like your friends or your family members are. And then the key is the regular periods. So you may go six weeks and then get a period or three months and then get a period and then get one right after the other and then have a really long time period. So there's just no rhyme or reason to your periods. So with PCOS, you have an imbalance of your hormones and you have excess estrogen and you have an imbalance or not enough of the hormone progestin or progesterone. And because of this imbalance, then you make more androgens like testosterone. So the testosterone is responsible for the acne and that can be really frustrating because not only is it something no one really wants, but it also can be painful. So it can be distracting. So back to that irregular estrogen and progesterone pattern, because of that, your sex hormones kind of get misaligned. And that's the reason why you're not having an ovulation every 28 days. And in fact, when you are getting your quote period, it might be what's called an anovulatory type of shedding of the uterine lining, meaning you're not actually releasing an egg and having a shedding of that lining. It's just sort of whatever has built up over that time just finally has to come out. So that's called an anovulatory bleed. And that's really important to remember. 
Then, to make matters worse, when those sex hormones are imbalanced, so you've got extra estrogen, and you've got a lower level of progesterone, and then you've got some elevated testosterone through a complex pathway in your body, then your liver gets involved. And when your liver gets involved, you secrete too much or excess insulin, and over time you get something called insulin resistance. And what that means is that causes that weight gain and makes it so hard for you to lose the weight despite a good clean diet and exercise. So you start to develop metabolic syndrome, which is the excess mid-abdominal weight and maybe a predisposition to diabetes or pre-diabetes, which means your A1C, the level that looks at if you have diabetes or not, starts to elevate. And maybe you're also developing some high blood pressure or some elevated lipids slash cholesterol. And even maybe you have some elevated liver function enzyme tests. So to summarize, some of the physical signs and symptoms that you can see quite easily would be that cystic or painful acne, some facial hair along the jawline, metabolic syndrome or weight gain, and then the irregular periods is pretty crucial to that diagnosis. Okay, so what about lab work? There is definitely a role for lab work to help diagnose if you have PCOS or not. The first thing your doctor would want to check would be your testosterone level. And that one's easy because it's probably going to be a little bit higher than the reference range. And we just talked about why that is. Because of that imbalance of estrogen and progesterone, you get an elevated level of testosterone. Another thing to check would be your A1C, that diabetes level that I just talked about. You also want to check your lipids to see if they're slightly above normal. And another thing that I like to check is called an FSH, an LH, and an estradiol, especially if you've not had this diagnosis and you're in your mid to late 40s. The reason to check those levels is to make sure this isn't menopause. So irregular bleeding is a common sign of menopause. So you want to clue out if this is PCOS or if this is earlier transition into menopause. And then also I like to check a TSH or a thyroid hormone because that can be another big reason that you have irregular periods. And some doctors like to check your liver function enzymes as well, just to sort of see if there's not something called fatty liver or non-alcoholic fatty liver that's starting to develop. And thirdly, you can check a pelvic ultrasound. And this isn't entirely necessary. I'm going to get into why. But a pelvic ultrasound will show what we call in the medical term as a string of pearls. And what a string of pearls means is when we hone in and look at one of your ovaries, all the little follicles, and follicles are eventually become the egg that's released when you ovulate. The little follicles are all in a ring around the edge of the ovary. And the reason they're all in a ring is because they're all kind of sitting there every month saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. And because your periods are really irregular, and again, you're not having an ovulatory bleeding, you're just kind of bleeding that lining because it's building up too much. It's getting so thick that it has to come out. All those little follicles are sitting there sort of waiting in line. And so that's how you kind of get this string of pearls type look. Now, to make a diagnosis of PCOS, you only need two out of three of these three criteria. So the three criteria is one, 
physical signs and symptoms, and number two was lab work, and number three was the ultrasound. So for example, if you come in to see me and you have all of the physical signs, cystic acne, metabolic syndrome, irregular periods, and your lab work demonstrates that as well, I really don't need to go ahead and order an ultrasound. Some people do like to do an ultrasound just to kind of confirm, but you might not have a string of pearls at that time, and so it just can kind of sway you and increase the cost of healthcare. So you don't really need the ultrasound to make the diagnosis. Now, another important point before I move on is lots of patients with PCOS develop really painful ovarian cysts. They often end up in the emergency room due to that really extreme lower quadrant belly pain. And what that is, is one of those follicles is just kind of swelling and swelling and getting so inflamed. And that's why you're getting a lot of ovarian cysts. It's probably another indication that you may have PCOS. So let's get into why should you care about this? Well, obviously, a lot of these symptoms aren't very fun. So you probably want to get a better diagnosis so that you can better nail down what treatment is going to help you so that you can go on and be your best you and be functioning and doing great at school and great at your job and not worrying about you know, all the cystic acne, the facial hair, the metabolic syndrome, and the irregular periods. So there's three main reasons that you want to know about. So the first one is PCOS can cause problems with fertility. Now, not always. In fact, I have plenty of patients who have PCOS who get pregnant very easily. But the reason you can have trouble getting pregnant is because you're having those anovulatory cycles. So that's really, really the key and one of the main reasons behind why PCOS can be so deleterious for your health over time. So because you're not having a ovulation, you never know when those eggs are released. And it's really hard to time or know when you might be your most fertile and therefore to get pregnant. Number two is because you are at risk for developing metabolic syndrome throughout the rest of your lifetime. So if you're listening to this, you are in your early 20s or 30s, you want to really think about what the implications of not treating the PCOS is for you in your 40s, 50s, and beyond. So I've already briefly mentioned that through the imbalance of the estrogen and the progesterone and then the elevated testosterone, you get something called insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is unfortunately what over time increases your risk for developing type 2 diabetes. That's why I, as an internist for my patients who have PCOS, always like to check their A1C and their cholesterol on a yearly basis instead of waiting two to three or five years because you are slightly increased risk for developing metabolic syndrome. So metabolic syndrome in and of itself, besides for meaning gaining mid-abdominal weight, also put you at risk not only for diabetes, but for heart disease, sleep apnea, and sometimes anxiety and depression. So it's really important to watch a lot of that lab work and to discuss what your treatment options for PCOS are so that you can keep your finger on the pulse. Number three, why I should care about PCOS is it can lead to uterine hyperplasia or uterine precancers or uterine cancer. And your risk for this stems from, again, the imbalance of the estrogen and progesterone. So I always say the uterus loves progesterone. It would bathe in progesterone if it could. And because you're having excess estrogen and not enough progesterone, that uterus feels that effect over decades. And because of that imbalance can put you at predisposition or increased risk for uterine cancers. 
uterine cancers are going to show up as postmenopausal bleeding. So anytime you have a bleed, even if it seems just like a normal period after menopause, I urge you immediately to tell your doctor. Other things that you might want to watch out for in your future would be, again, fatty liver, which I've touched on, and then pregnancy issues such as gestational diabetes or gestational hypertension. And then again, I briefly mentioned anxiety, depression, sleep apnea, all those things can have really deleterious effects on your health through your midlife and beyond. So what causes PCOS? Why why might you be the unfortunate patient or person who has PCOS? There's so much scientific research going into PCOS because it's such a complicated and complex syndrome. And I really think of PCOS as a spectrum disorder. I have some patients who suffer immensely, and then I have other patients who maybe have some more vague symptoms, but when I treat them as if they have PCOS, they do feel much better. So I think of it as a spectrum. So we're not exactly sure what causes PCOS, but some of the leading theories would be First, perhaps you have or make an excess of insulin. So, you know, this is kind of what came first, the chicken or the egg. So you could have excess insulin, which causes insulin resistance, which then therefore causes an imbalance in your sex hormones. Or perhaps you make excess androgen, so you make excess testosterone, which then then goes on to cause the imbalance in the insulin resistance. So again, that's kind of a what came first type scenario, but it could be one or the other, or it could be both. There's also a pretty strong family history component, so there definitely could be some hereditary or some genetic predisposition to PCOS as well. Okay, so let's get into what are the different treatment options for PCOS. So endocrinologists and gynecologists or women's health physicians sometimes argue about what is the very best treatment, and it goes between two. And the first would be birth control pills or some way to provide extra progesterone, and then the other argument would be to use metformin. So we're going to go through both of these. Let's start with birth control pills first. I really like to use birth control pills for PCOS as first-line treatment because it does help with numerous symptoms that you're having. In every birth control pill is balanced estrogen and progesterone hormone. And so when you take birth control pills, your brain kind of thinks, wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to make all my hormones. And it realizes for some reason it's getting estrogen and progesterone. So it says, okay, great. I'll go work on something else then. So what happens is when your brain kind of stops ordering you what levels to have and you are taking them in your birth control pill, your level of estrogen and progesterone becomes nice and balanced. And that is the key. So you have a nice balanced estrogen and progesterone, and then birth control pills also work to decrease your free testosterone. So then that testosterone level, which is abnormally high for people with PCOS, comes back down into a more normal range. This then decreases the amount of cystic acne that you might have. It also might help with your facial hair. And then over time, your liver kind of gets the message that these hormones are balanced and this helps to improve your insulin resistance. And so it can become easier to lose weight or keep your metabolism revved where that was otherwise very difficult. Now, really any type of birth control pill will work, but I tend to prefer a monophasic birth control pill where you only take four days of placebo a month or you take them continuously, which means you take no placebo pills. You just go from one active pill to the next. And I described why that's okay in one of my other podcasts called Birth Control, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know. 
And by minimizing the amount of placebo pills you take to about four a month, this decreases the acne or some of the cysts that you might experience in the week that you take those placebo pills. Moreover, some of my patients feel a little moody the week that they take the placebo pills. And so by keeping your hormone levels nice and steady for as many days as you can during the month, this also tends to help mood. I see this anecdotally all the time. So what if you can't take birth control pills or you simply don't want to because maybe you've tried that in the past, you had trouble remembering to take them, or you simply didn't like them? Then you can use any other type of method that will increase your progesterone so that you can ultimately get a balance of your estrogen and your progesterone. So examples of that would be, number one, the Nexplanon. The Nexplanon is a small subcutaneous rod that goes in your arm underneath your bicep, and that releases progesterone systemically. And so then that progesterone level starts to match your estrogen level and same mechanism as the birth control pills. As those become balanced, your testosterone goes down, and over time, hopefully, you get improvement in your insulin resistance. Another option would be the Depo-Provera shot. That's a three-month injection of progesterone, and it works very similar to the Nexplanon. It's just that instead of it being in there for three years, you need to come into the office every three months to get another shot. And if you didn't like the birth control pills just because you don't like swallowing pills or you forget to take them, the NuvaRing or the birth control patch is going to work exactly the same way as the birth control pills. They're just absorbed transdermally. Another nice thing about using a birth control pill is that it does tend to help regulate your ovulation cycles so that if you are looking to get pregnant in say a couple years and you think you have PCOS, it is helpful to take birth control pills for a year or two because as you come off them, those mechanisms, those hormone balances that you've had while you were taking your birth control pills help you sort of maintain a more regular or balanced hormones and then you start to ovulate every month and that helps you get pregnant a little bit easier. Now, what about the role of an intrauterine device or an IUD? So an IUD is a progesterone-releasing device that goes up into the uterus that can last anywhere from three to five years. What's nice about this is it releases progesterone just to the uterus. And I said the uterus loves progesterone. It would bathe in progesterone if it could. In fact, we know that when you use the IUD for five years or more, this can decrease your risk for uterine cancer. And this is probably why. Because your uterus is always getting a balance of the progesterone that it needs to stay nice and healthy. So an IUD is going to protect the uterus, and that is really important because we mentioned the increased risk for uterine cancer that you might have later on down the road if you have many years or decades of untreated PCOS. Now, the only thing that an IUD won't do is it may not help with the metabolic syndrome or the insulin resistance. In fact, there's not enough research to know if it does or if it doesn't. But because the IUD doesn't go systemically, the progesterone is only released locally, you're not getting all of the systemic benefits of that progesterone hormone that you would if, say, you were taking it orally like in a birth control pill. Remember to get the benefits of the IUD for decreasing your risk for uterine cancer. You want to use a progesterone releasing IUD so that would exclude the Paragard, which is a non-hormonal IUD option. 
Okay, moving on to metformin, which a lot of endocrinologists like to use first, and I also like to advocate very much for the use of metformin. In fact, personally, I like to use both a birth control method and metformin. So metformin is a medication that's used primarily in diabetics, but it's also used very frequently for prediabetes, and it's also used very frequently for patients with PCOS who might not have an elevation in their A1C. So what metformin does is it makes your liver more sensitive to insulin. So it improves your glucose tolerance. And so kind of by going backwards, by improving your glucose tolerance and making your insulin more sensitive, that in turn, it balances out your estrogen and progesterone through some complex mechanisms, which can give you regular periods again, which ultimately is your sign of overall good health or that the medications are working. Now, metformin for PCOS can be taken numerous different ways. It's often given 500 milligrams once in the morning and then maybe also once in the evening. So you're taking 500 milligrams twice a day. Some people take a thousand milligrams once in the morning and a thousand milligrams in the evening or any combination of that that you can tolerate. And the reason people sometimes don't tolerate metformin is because it can cause some GI upset and some diarrhea. This tends to go away after the first couple of weeks, but if it doesn't and it's causing a lot of GI upset, you want to reduce the dose to the point where it's not causing GI problems and you may also then be getting the benefits from it as well. There's been many, many cases of my patients who have PCOS who want to get pregnant in the next couple of months who start metformin because obviously they don't want to start birth control pills if they really want to get pregnant. And I see with just metformin alone that it regulates their periods and they're able to get pregnant. And then you can stay on the metformin during your pregnancy because it's not dangerous to the growing fetus. Another option that I discuss with my patients and that I typically like to use is a medication called spironolactone, or it's also known as aldactone. Spironolactone is an anti-androgen. That means it decreases the free testosterone that you have. So therefore, this can decrease the amount of facial hair or acne that you're suffering from. In fact, I have many patients who refuse to take birth control pills for whatever reason and the metformin and simply take the spironolactone alone. The spironolactone alone, however, doesn't seem to have as great of effects on decreasing your risk for metabolic syndrome and certainly doesn't decrease your risk over time for uterine hyperplasia or uterine cancers, so you really do want to keep that in mind. And of course, you want to adhere to some really good lifestyle changes and modifications. So of course, you want to incorporate exercise if you can. And I really tend to recommend high interval intensity training where you get your heart rate up and you sweat. And this means exercising really only for maybe 15 to 20 minutes a day, but where you're really exerting a lot of energy and you're getting your heart rate up. So that would be a high intensity interval training. And you want to adhere to a good diet where you're decreasing your carbohydrate intake. So your carbohydrates are the enemy for PCOS and for most weight gain. But with PCOS, when you have that insulin resistance, the excess carbohydrates turns into sugar, which then turns into fat and increases that metabolic syndrome that you're trying so hard to prevent. Now, again, I said this before, but many of my patients with PCOS struggle tremendously, even though they avoid carbohydrates at all costs, they really still feel that it's very hard to lose the same amount of weight that they see friends or family members doing on the same diet. 
So when you do incorporate some of these medications, it significantly improves the metabolism and the metabolics and all those hormones. And so that it is a little bit easier to keep that weight down, but it's not to say that you can't do it without using a medication. Sleep hygiene is also really important because your metabolism is going to be behind the eight ball if you're not getting at least seven to eight solid hours of sleep per night. And then lastly, there's so many great PCOS support groups. I run across these all the time on Facebook or Instagram. There's so many people opening the discussion and really supporting each other in terms of their lifestyle, their diet, or the medications they might be using. So not only is it great for you to learn more and then to advocate for yourself about PCOS, but it's also a nice place to feel supported by other women who are going through something very similar to you. So great, you have met with your doctor, you've gotten this diagnosis, you may or may not have started different treatment options. So how do you know if things are working? And how will you know that you're going to stay healthy into your 30s, 40s, midlife and beyond? So first and foremost, you want to see if you're starting to get regular periods again. This is really the poor man's test. You don't need fancy lab work or anything like that. You just want to see if your periods are coming in any regular amount of time. It doesn't need to be the typical 28 days. If you're coming back to the office and you're saying, I'm getting a period every 36 days, every 38 days, every 28 days, any type of a regular schedule means that you're ovulating, which is the best sign that your estrogen, your progesterone, and your androgens are all balanced. Number two, a lot of my patients just simply feel better. They feel like they have more energy. They feel more engaged in their life. They feel like they're thriving at work or at home with their children. And so overall feeling better is another symptom that whatever you are doing is working. You might also notice a decrease in the acne or the facial hair because of the way the hormones are becoming more balanced. And you might find that it's a little bit easier to keep the weight down or to keep your weight nice and steady. So that was a whole lot of information about PCOS. And I tried to take something that doctors and scientists are still working very hard to understand all the little details and mechanisms into a bigger picture that you might be able to understand. And I want you to be able to put these symptoms together and go to your internist or gynecologist if you think that you might be suffering from PCOS. I also want you to take away knowing that this isn't your fault. It's not just that you've been eating too much bread. It's really a hormonal and genetic imbalance. And there is treatment options that can make you thrive and feel better. Lastly, ignoring PCOS or not having a clear diagnosis can put you at increased risk for three big things in your life. The first being infertility or trouble getting pregnant. The second being metabolic syndrome, which can increase your risk for diabetes, heart disease, sleep apnea, anxiety, and depression. And lastly, and most importantly, uterine cancers. So please call your doctor if you have any postmenopausal bleeding. I hope I answered a lot of questions for you about polycystic ovarian syndrome. If I missed anything or something wasn't clear, please feel free to send me an email or a comment so that I can clarify this better for you. If you have any more comments or suggestions for me, send those my way as well. I hope you learned a lot in this 25 minutes with me, and I hope that you listen in again. Have a wonderful rest of your day, afternoon, or evening. Bye.